and welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farm, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I am broadcasting from WOUF Wolf Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you once again for joining me here today. If you haven't clicked subscribe or that follow button, go ahead and do so right now. New episodes come out every single Wednesday morning, and you're going to want to check them out. You can also follow me on Instagram at Speak a Dogcast. Yes, today on the show, excellent segments lined up. First one's going to be doing the work. That's right, doing the work, doing the time, putting it in. That's what it takes to train your dog, guys. Some cool stories in there today in that segment I want to talk to you about, about how that applies to putting in the time and effort to make your dog awesome. Then comes slimming down. Guys, we have a problem in this country. We do with our pets. They're overweight, they're fat. We're going to talk about getting getting them less fat. Then comes the first pets, followed by the listener Q&A. If you guys have any questions for the listener Q&A, keep them on coming at me. Email me, questions at speakadogcast.com. You can also message me on social media. Hey, throw a comment on the uh, old, you know, any of the pictures, all that good stuff. We'll make sure we get that question featured on the show. But before we get going with today's show, I have to give you today's trivia question. That question is... What animal can hold its breath the longest? Yes, what animal can hold its breath the longest? I will give you the answer to that question somewhere in today's podcast, so be sure you stick around, sit, stay, and enjoy the show. Next on Speaking Dogcast, doing the work. What does it take to be good at anything in life? It takes work. It takes dedication. It takes time. Uh, But it takes work. It takes hard work. And it's no different with training your dog. I say that often, right? A comparison, it's no different training. It's true. It's true, though. Uh, If you want to have an awesome dog, if you want to have a well-trained dog, if you want to have a dog that doesn't pull, that doesn't jump, that doesn't bark when it's unnecessary, that knows how to listen, knows how to focus, can, uh, you know, be flexible in in multiple situations, is okay with loud noises, uh, doesn't have separation anxiety. If you want all of these things, you have to do the work. Look, I think... A lot of people, you know, you know, I'll, I'll say this. I have, and I'm going to get to a story, a little story in a second that I love that happened to me, and it's it's awesome. Uh, but before we do that, you know, let's talk about Riker for a second. He is what year and a little over a year and a half, making me do some math there. Um, but he's, he, of course, he's still got puppy in him, but he's no longer a puppy. He is an adult dog now, and he's awesome. You know, he's really phenomenal and sure he, you know, he's not perfect and we're still working on some things, but that's the point I'm kind of trying to get to here, right, right off the bat. A lot of people see the end result with Riker and here I'm a professional are like, well, yeah, of course he's perfect. And it's like, look, first of all, he's not perfect. Second of all, how much work that it took to get here. How about how much failure it took to get to this point? Now, Riker, thank goodness, was a smart dog, is a smart dog. <laughs> he was a smart puppy. Uh, now he's a smart adult dog. And he picked up on things pretty quick and he was, you know, he was good like that. But the training isn't done. We haven't stopped. And there's certain issues that we still have. Um, nothing crazy. That's the wonderful thing. For, for You know, look, if anybody else looking in see, saw this dog, it would be like, wow, he's like perfect because that's how phenomenal he is. Now, my eyes still have some work to do. But my, in my opinion, every dog has work for improvement as every, all of us have work, uh, room for improvement. Excuse me, room for improvement. So anyway, the point is, guys, as I'm kind of beating around the bush here, it took work. From day one, from the time I got Riker at 11 weeks old, we were working on commands. We were working on training, patience, making sure he's not pawing us, not allowing them to get overexcited, not allowing him to jump on us. He tried all of these behaviors, 
right? It's not like I just had this instantly perfect puppy because I just start everything perfectly from the beginning. It's not, it's not like that. It's putting in a ton of work, a ton of time and failures. And then after the failures come the success, uh, successes, you know? Um, and that's, that's something that's, I think sometimes hard is that you can put in all this work and you don't necessarily see the end result success that you're looking for because you haven't put in enough work yet. Just being honest, that's the truth. Sometimes these successes can come very quickly and very boom, instantaneous. Other times they take forever. Look, uh, you know, first story in, in the segment I want to tell you. When I used to work at this animal show, um, we would train some behaviors in all different species too, not just dogs. It was dogs, cats, birds, you name it. And you would train these routines and you would train these behaviors. And sometimes we would try this brand new behavior we'd never done. It hadn't been done before. And we're trying this new thing. And it could take you two months, sometimes longer, sometimes eight months, one behavior with a bird that took us eight months, eight months for a about what? 35, 40 second behavior. That's how long it lasted. Eight months. Do you guys hear that? When you go to these amazing shows and these awesome looking, it's dedicated trainers. It's trainers who care, put in time, dedication, and love uh, into that profession. And of course, knowledge and understanding uh, that creates these amazing shows. When you go and you see that stuff, I want you to remember it's not this instant, oh, they trained that bird to do, you know, to do that behavior. And like, it took weeks, if not months to create the end result that you guys are seeing. And for that matter, if there's multiple animals, animals upon animals in a show, can you even begin to imagine to add up all the time it took with each individual animal? If you added up all that time, it'd probably be over a year's worth of work easily. A year's worth of training, time, work, dedication put into creating that success. Isn't that incredible? So when you have a dog... And I look, I sometimes get clients where they're like, well, it's been two weeks. Why is my dog not perfect? It's like, guys, are you serious? Rome wasn't built in a day. You didn't create those bad behaviors overnight and you want them to be changed overnight? Come on. Like, let's just get real. It's not how it works. You're not putting in enough work to make it change. Okay. So doing the work. <laughs> It's not, it's not an easy thing because like I said, it takes time. So, uh, I want to tell you this quick story before we get into doing the work and what that kind of looks like. I was at Home Depot the other day and I took Riker with me. He was being awesome. He's being phenomenal. And I put him, you know, to sit, stay and I'm turning my back and I'm reading labels of sorry, I'm trying to figure out which damn thing I needed to buy. Look guys, if, if you don't have stock in Home Depot, buy it. <laughs> This isn't a financial podcast, but for crying out loud, get Home Depot stock. Like any homeowner out there, how many trips to Home Depot does it take to screw in a light bulb? Not a joke. It's the truth. <laughs> Anybody out there can relate. You can't just take one trip to Home Depot, can you? My wife used to think this was like, you know, I was being ridiculous. I go, no, you don't understand. <laughs> it's always something. It's always something. And you got to get your butt back there and spend more money. And, oh, buy Home Depot stock. Anyway, I own some. <laughs> All right, so the dog stuff. I'm at Home Depot. I have Riker. He's in a sit and stay. I'm reading when I need to. And this guy walks by and he notices how well behaved he is. He said, wow, what a well behaved dog. Thank you. We start chatting a little bit. You know, tell him I'm a professional. We start chatting. And, you know, as I said, you know, Riker, as we're talking, I said, you know, Riker didn't become perfect. And you know, I've been working with him a lot. It took a lot of work, a lot of time. He goes, absolutely. He goes, you got to take a dog for a walk twice a day. That walk, that walk is key, taps into that instinct. 
You have to take your dog for a walk twice a day. And I almost fell on the floor, guys. <laughs> I went, what? Somebody who's not a professional who understands how this stuff works? Can it be? <laughs> it was true. It was amazing. I, I just, I, I just, I just, I wanted to hug this guy. <laughs> I told him, I said, you need to come on my, you need to come preach for me, man. I'm loving this. This is fantastic. Uh, but yeah, he's looking to adopt a dog. Um, and uh, it was fun. It was a funny conversation, but at the same time, an awesome conversation because he spoke the truth. Love it, guys. Love it. Uh, again, look. Side note: I don't know where this this disconnect is that we have forgotten what a dog is and what their basic core instinctual needs are. That guy got it, and that's why he said he's had a lot of great dogs over the years. Gee, I wonder why? Because he put in the work. Hmm. All right. So getting back to it, um, <laughs> putting in the work. Guys, if you have an issue with your dog, you have to work through it. There is no magic fix. There is no waving the magic wand. There is no calling a dog whisperer. And even if there is a dog whisperer involved, what do they have to do? To they have to put in work. And then what does the owner have to do afterward? They have to put in work. Okay? It takes work. It takes work to fix behavioral issues. Look at ourselves. I mean, what complicated, ridiculous beings <laughs> that we are. How easy is it for you to fix your own behavioral issues? It's not. It's not easy. It's not always easy, is it? Right? Struggle of being human. Man, being a dog looks so much easier on paper, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> pretty good life. But not if your owner makes you anxious. Not if your owner doesn't put in the work. Um, but you get what I'm saying here, Okay. It's not always the easiest thing to change our own behavior, and it takes time, work, and dedication in order to do that. And as the famous saying goes, it's no different with your dog. So what does this work look like besides the walk? Well, the work, the work is definitely structure, rules, boundaries. How many times do I say it on here? Okay. You know, as I was talking about with Riker, like when he was young, it was little things teaching him to not mouth us, making him understand there was a clear boundary, telling him no, providing redirection, providing punishment, providing reinforcement, giving him information to make him a well-adjusted and well-behaved dog. That's what doing the work is. Training is not one of these things that takes time off, right? You can't be like, well, I took you for a walk and we did 20 minutes of play time and I'm good now, so... I'm going to ignore you chewing on my, on my furniture. Like It's just, it's not going to work that way, is it? Um, behavior doesn't just stop. It's always happening. And look, going back to the, the, we always have to, going back to the rules of psychology, behavior is always happening. And if a behavior stays the same or increases, right? Then by definition, that behavior is being reinforced because reinforcement increases behavior. So whether you are actively doing something or not doing something at all, if your dog is over there chewing on your furniture and doesn't stop, by definition, that behavior is being reinforced. You see what I'm saying? So you can't just decide, well, I'm, I'm done doing the work today. No. Training a dog is work. And you have to put in the time and do the work, create these rules, create the structure, create the boundaries. Tell them what you like. Tell them what you don't like. Give them proper exercise. Go for proper walks. All of this stuff is what it takes to do the work. Now, of course, we can also do things like commands. 
Commands are a big way. Guys, if you have a newer dog, whether you just adopted a dog or it's a puppy or whatever, commands should be a daily part of your routine. Handful of times a day, you know, two or three minutes here and there, working through commands, structured. Slowing your dog's brain down, making sure they're focused, making sure they're not getting antsy and jumping and making sure they're really listening. Practicing a sit. Practicing a stay. Good. Lie down. Good. A leave it. A drop it. Then we can start incorporating those things into playtime. And then we're incorporating structure, commands, rules, boundaries, playtime, all into one big thing. And now look at that. I'm doing the work. <laughs> See what I'm saying? It's not this like thing we can set aside 10 minutes for. Truly training your dog, you have to do the work almost at a constant rate for a while until you can reinforce and strengthen those desired behaviors enough that they sort of become autopilot. Then you don't have to be as active. Then you can take more of a passive role with your dog and then it's awesome. But I get that. I get that question a lot of like, when can I just let down? When can I just let my dog, you know, be able to, it's like, well, dude, your, your dog is, it's a year old. <laughs> it's, you have an eight year old in your house. I mean, maybe I'm doing the math a little, but you know what I mean? Like you mentally, the equivalent is you're trying to go, I want to go from age four to 18 and it just doesn't work that way. <laughs> you have to put in the work and the time. And if you don't want to put in the work and the time, guys, don't get a dog. Hate to say it, but don't get a dog because dogs take work and you got to do the work if you want the results. It's that simple. It's that black and white really at the end of the day. It is that simple. Now with that, I want to actually give a quick little shout out. Now look, I, I've actually, I took a little time off from training, tried to zone out a bit. <laughs> I needed to. Um, and now I'm coming back in playing catch up. I'm, I'm way behind, but playing catch up and getting back in the office here. Uh, and I just started uh, with a new client and I have to, you know, the first ones that I've, I've started back with here and I have to give them a huge applause. I mean, credit. They really, in such a short time, have seen such crazy instant results. Look, they've got a little bit of, hey, and they know it, a little bit of chaos in the house. We have three dogs, three separate issues going on. They're big, they're strong. Um, and it was really cool because the other day I got a text from them saying that they took their dog and one of the biggest issues was leash work, you know? Uh, oh, big dogs and leash work. Yeah, it can be tough. Um, they took their dog in for grooming and the dogs didn't pull them into the groomer. First time ever. Like, ah, oh, thank you guys. And as I told them, it was their work and their dedication that changed that. I gave them the knowledge, I gave them the tools, but it was their work that created that change. So facilitated that change. So really awesome. Just want to say thank you to them for doing their homework and uh, awesome that they're getting great results. Look at that, guys. Put in the time, do the work, get the results. Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? We can help. At The Nature of Training, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Offering a wide variety of services, such as in-home training, doggy and puppy boot camps, doggy day camps, boarding, and now offering virtual training as well. For more information, check out our website, www.thenatureoftraining.com, or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram at David Paws. 
Located in beautiful Palm City, Florida, serving all of the Treasure Coast and North Palm Beach County. The nature of training, helping you achieve success with your pet. Next on Speak a Dogcast, Slimming Down. Yes, we have a problem in this country, guys. We have a problem with our dogs in this country big time. Do you know what it is? Our dogs are too fat. They're obese. They're overweight. They are fat. And it is a big problem. And you know what? I know who we can blame. Do you know who's at fault for this? Do you know who is completely 100% to blame for our dogs being obese in this country? You! Dog owners! Who else can I blame? I know, David, that's so mean. No, you know what's mean? Overfeeding your dog and making them overweight and obese. That's mean. Your dog can't control it. It is literally in their nature to want to keep eating. So the more you feed them, the more they're going to eat. You're the one that buys the food at the dog store. You're the one that buys all the dog treats at the dog store. You're the one opening the containers and feeding them. It's nobody else's fault but yours. I know... I know. I don't want to sit here for 20 minutes wagging my finger at you guys. I really don't. But at the same time, this is a problem. Okay, this is a big problem because it's a health issue. It's not good for your dogs. And it can cause all kinds of problems down the road. And the worst part, you're gonna, you're, your dog is going to pay for it. Do you want your dog to be sick? Do you want your wallet to be sick? I mean, it's a, both are going to happen and nobody's going to be happy. Okay, so stop feeding your dog so much. That's the first way we can slim down, all right? <sighs> I know, I'm sorry, I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump off the soapbox, but guys, every, you know, every time I go to my vet, I see these little fat lard of lump hot dog dogs walk in that have to literally waddle because they can't even get their stomach off the ground as they're scraping as they walk. I mean, come on. People think that's legitimately cute. Huh? I died. Okay. Oh my God. Stop feeding your dog so much, guys. Look, I'll tell you this. My my um my half lab, half great Dane Penny Lane, who I used to have, um, the food we used to feed her told us to feed her four and a half cups of this food a day. Now she was 90 pounds, but four and a half cups of food, that's a lot of food for a 90-pound dog. Guys, I've had her three cups of food every day. Every day. And she was perfectly healthy. She had a perfect, she always had like the perfect weight. I was complimented by multiple veterinarians on how healthy and how well, uh, how, how great she looked, you know? Three cups versus the four and a half that the dog food company wanted me to feed her. Do you know why the dog food company wanted me to feed her four and a half cups of food? Because I'd go through that dog food a hell of a lot faster feeding her that than I would three cups, huh? <laughs> I know, crazy, right? Look, just like people... We can give it, this is why they give you generalized feeding charts, right? They give you a generalized feeding chart for X amount of weight to X amount of weight target. You feed this much, but every dog's a little different. Every dog's metabolism can even be a little different, right? Uh, look, my veterinarian, he actually goes by calorie count. He doesn't even go by cups. He, it's a calorie count for him. Uh, he's very exact and very precise about it. He knows what he's doing, um, <laughs> you know? And so that's, that's the thing. Like we're, we're not really even balancing our dog's dog food correctly. 
And then on top of that, we start throwing them treats because they came and they looked at me cute. So they got five treats for that. And then later on, I made them sit and do a couple tricks and I gave them treats for that. And then later on, my, you know, my husband came home and I gave him, I can hear the white, you know, then he gave him a treat because he gives, and then my kid comes home and he gives him a treat every time he comes home. Do you see the problem here? We're literally going to McDonald's for the dog 20 times a day. This is why our dogs are fat. Guys, come on. Like, ah, just stop. Stop overfeeding your dogs. They don't need it, you know? And the worst part is, again, it's, it's, it's programmed, actually, into a dog. They're a predator by nature, right? I don't care that it's a domesticated animal, guys. It is still a wolf in the back of their brain. And even ourselves, right? We keep eating because what happens tomorrow? You don't know that there's going to be food on the table. And that's why we'll even gorge ourselves. Because it's instinct telling us to fill that stomach and make those calories count. Because normally, when we were, when we were you know, nomadic people and we didn't, we didn't have just food at our disposal anytime, you had to eat. And so a dog's brain is no different. I know some people go, well, David, my dog doesn't get anxious about it. Well, your dog has anxiety issues. That's a different story. We're not going down there. Look, there's really only two reasons a dog shouldn't eat. Either they're overweight or they have anxiety issues. Nothing more to be said about that. All right. So look, we've got to slim down our pets, guys. The first and foremost, the easiest way, walk them. We should be walking our dogs every single day. Hey, look, putting in that, that, that last segment there, doing the work, right? We talk about it. I had that guy in Home Depot who was awesome who recognized who knew we need to be walking our dogs like twice a day, right? On top of that, we can do playtime. We can do swim time. We can do agility. We can take our dog to doggy day camp a couple days a week. There's all these supplemental things that we can do that are great to help keep our dogs in shape. Look, it gets really hot, obviously, where I am in the summer and in a lot of places in the summer. And you can't necessarily be outdoors all the time. How about all these awesome doggy treadmills we have around now? There's like, they can be a little bit pricey, um, but for the betterment of your dog, for years of use, you know, something to think about. If you just can't get out there as much, it's too hot, weather permitting, you live in the city, whatever the case may be, there are supplemental ways to keep your dog in shape, okay? Um, look, it is it is literally the most preventable, if you ask any veterinarian, what is the most preventable um, health issue? What is the most preventable health issue that owners could be doing, could be preventing? And the answer, almost all of them are going to say is obesity. You're the one in control of that, guys. Now, of course, some animals, some dogs do have thyroid issues. We're not going down that road today. Side, aside from medical issues that are affecting things, you are in control if your dog is thin or not. It's that simple. It really is. So if you really want to slim down your dog, and look, it's good for us too. The more I walk, the better I feel. <laughs> the more your dog walks, the better they feel. You know, uh, it's, Hey, it's, we're coming into September here. It's going to start cooling off somewhat soon in some places, right? (laughs) Not quite yet, uh, but we're going to get there. And that's the best time to get out there and work with your dog, slim them down, get them exercising and get your dogs healthy. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's the first pets. Today on the first pets, we'll be talking about Herbert Hoover. Herbert Hoover, he served from 1929 to 1933 as the 31st president of the United States. 
Known for his humanitarian efforts and having no elected official experience prior to being elected president, he was the head of the USDA and served as the Secretary of Commerce under two presidents. Now, during his tough presidency, he oversaw the country through the stock market crash of 1929 and the start of the Great Depression. After a tumultuous few years, he was not re-elected. Now, Herbert Hoover married his college sweetheart, Lou Henry, and they brought a lot of dogs with them. And a lot of dogs were... Well, brought in along the way. Uh, the list is pretty big, and there was actually a bit of information on a lot of these dogs. Now, Bellhaven B. Hoover, and a lot of them had nicknames, who they called it Glenn, <laughs> was some kind of collie. That was given to Lou Hoover by Florence B. Ilch, owner of Bellhaven Collie Kennels in Red Bank, New Jersey, in November 1928 at the age of eight months. However, Glenn did not get along well with the other dogs that were already at the White House and was given uh, to Mrs. Cora Newton, the wife of Herbert Hoover's secretary, Walter Newton. Now, Big Boy was a wired-haired fox terrier. Big Boy arrived at Christmas as a present from someone in Virginia. It was popular to give dogs to the president as as these random gifts back in the day. Uh, but yeah, Virginia, uh, someone from Virginia gave him this dog as Christmas 1929, and it was then given to the sons of George Akerson, one of Hoover's other secretaries. <laughs> then there was Buckeye. Buckeye was a Belgian police dog, probably like a Belgian Malinois, and they called a lot of these shepherd dogs back in the day were called police dogs. Um, that was a gift uh, to the Hoovers in June 1928, just after Mr. Hoover was nominated for the presidency. Now, it was a gift from Gertrude Livet Hanna, whose family was prominent in Ohio politics. Now, Mrs. Hanna's assistant inadvertently sent Buckeye's sister, Mahana, along at the same time. Unfortunately, though, Mahana ran away and was never found. Buckeye moved to the White House with the Hoovers in March 1929 and was mentioned in several letters, but then we don't really know anything more that happened after that. Next on the list is Craigwood Patrick, known as Patrick I, a wired-haired Irish wolfhound. This was presented to Lou Hoover on March 30th, 1929 by Mrs. Norwood B. Smith, a formal, former schoolmate. Now, Patrick unfortunately passed away shortly after arrival from an infection. Of course, veterinary care hey, wasn't what it is today, you know? So then there was Cragwood Patrick II, Patrick II, a wired-haired Irish wolfhound as well, also from Mrs. B. Norwood Smith, to replace Patrick I. Now, Patrick II uh, was described as sensitive, shy, and shaggy. And, uh, well, that wasn't too good for Mrs. Hoover. <laughs> I mean, uh, unfortunately, she gave the dog away because of this with some training. Probably could have fixed this. So a second dog was sent, Cragwood Shamrock. Now, this was another Irish wolfhound, and it was also given to Mrs. Hoover by Mrs. Norwood B. Smith. <laughs> but this dog became too aggressive around strangers. One too reserve, one too aggressive, ended up biting a Marine guard, and she gave him to a soldier at Fort Myer who volunteered to take him, who would later give him away again to Colonel Risley Brown. Oh, my goodness. Amazing how many dogs just exchanged hands, you know, <laughs> over these presidencies. We have next, Inglehurst Gillette. My goodness, how many dogs. Gillette, a Gordon Setter, and a prize winner at Madison Square Garden Show. Now, he was actually presented to Hoover by Colonel William J. Donovan on Inauguration Day. Shortly afterward, though, given to the custody of yet another person, Dr. Mann, superintendent of a nearby zoo, because apparently the dog barked too much. <laughs> then there was Ole and Ole. Yes, Ole, O-L-E, <laughs> and Ole, like oil of Ole, <laughs> O-L-A-Y. They were Norwegian elkhound puppies. 
Now, uh, they were listed as being received in 1932, but not much other information from there. And there was Pat, a German shepherd, possibly uh, some kind of shepherd, gift to the Hoovers from Captain Charles J. Maybutt of Fort Benning, Georgia. Now, they were given to Hoover as, uh, Hoover as a replacement for King Tut. And we'll get to King Tut in just a moment here. Um, now, he ended up being with the family for quite a while and moved to Palo Alto once Hoover's presidency was over. Next on the list, quite the list. I mean, this is just ridiculous. Like, right. Then there's Southboro Markham. I mean, the names are amazing too. Mark, as he was known, was an English setter presented to Hoover in September 1929 by Mr. D.C. Coke of Palo Alto, California, a family friend. The dog was a national and international champion. But no more information was known on him. Then there was Whoopi. Whoopi was a schnauzer given to the Hoosers by, uh, Hoovers by Francis Dillman of Chicago in March 1929. Because Whoopi seemed discontent with the life in the White House, they gave the dog away to Norwood Smith. And it all kind of comes around. Then the next dog, Northern Light Yukon. Yeah, that yes. <laughs> of course, it's a Siberian Husky, because what other breed could possibly have that name? A 1929 gift from Fairbanks, Alaska. Didn't adjust well to the warm climates in the summer in Washington, though, so they sent him to Canada during the summer months. That's awesome. And he was later given to an unidentified friend living in a cooler climate. Obviously, that dog would be a lot happier there. Then there was Ouija. Ouija was a Norwegian elk hound that was a gift from the American Elk Hound Association in February 1931 that was also to replace King Tut, who again we'll get to in just a moment. Now, originally named Norway or Nori for short, the Hoover's granddaughter Peggy Ann called him Ouija and it stuck. Ouija also went to Palo Alto with the Hoover's after the presidency and was later given to Elizabeth Hanna, a family friend. Then there's King Tut, the Belgian shepherd. Now, King Tut actually helped get Hoover elected. During his campaign, it was thought that Hoover kind of came across as cold and unapproachable, so to help him warm up to the people, his campaign had him pose for a picture with his dog, King Tut. Who doesn't love a good picture with a politician in their pet? <laughs> now, even though I'm not too sure how happy either the dog or Hoover looks in the picture, feel free to go check that one out. Uh, it did work, and they did something right because he won the election in a landslide. Unfortunately, though, Tut did not acclimate well to life at the White House. At first, he would patrol the perimeter of the grounds nightly, but then the constant coming and going of people, the crazy schedules, it all made King Tut very anxious. And at one point, he stopped eating. Now, they sent him back to their home in Connecticut in the hopes of getting him better, but unfortunately, he never recovered and died of stomach issues. Now, I don't know, to me, it kind of sounds like maybe there was something medically going on there that uh, we didn't have the ability to diagnose at the time, but... Uh, who knows? Now, they had other pets, other animals on uh, White House grounds as well. While they were there, they had Billy Possum. He was a wild possum that strayed onto the White House grounds. They had kind of, you know, adopted him. And they actually ended up keeping him in the pen that was built for the uh, Coolidge's raccoon. If you guys remember from a previous segment of the first pets, we talked about the Coolidge's raccoon that they kept there. Now, Billy was then adopted by a Maryland high school that had recently lost their possum mascot. Uh, last but not least, there's Caruso, a pedigreed roller canary that was given to Mrs. Hoover by breeder Mrs. P.E. McCoy of San Francisco in early 1929. Now, he lived at the White House with them and returned to California with the Hoovers in 1933 and lived to a ripe old age and passed away sometime around 1940-1941. Okay, I'm exhausted. How many dogs? How many animals? That was a lot. That was crazy. Uh, how many animals came and went during the time of President Herbert Hoover. The answer to today's trivia question, 
What animal can hold its breath the longest? It's the loggerhead sea turtle. Yes, many turtle species are known to hibernate at the bottom of frozen lakes in the winter, but they're not actually breathing at that time. Instead, they're using an adaptation where they take in small amounts of oxygen through their highly vascularized rear ends in a process known as cloacal respiration. However, the loggerhead is known to be able to dive underwater and hold their breath for up to 10 hours. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's our listener Q&A. The first question today comes from Brendan from West Palm Beach, Florida. Brendan says, how many times is too many times to take a dog out during the night? My girlfriend takes our poodle Freddy out every few hours throughout the night. He is a miniature poodle. He's about 25 pounds, so I don't see why he can't hold it. He now demands to go out and he will not hold it, but I think he's just created a habit. What should I do? Great uh, question, Brendan. Look, here's the thing, and this is just, look, this, this is it. Peeing habits are whatever habits you create or your girlfriend creates. <laughs> so, Brendan, you are correct. That poodle, Freddie, he is perfectly capable of holding it. A dog that size, if he's that size, he's full grown. So he's not a 10 month or 10 week old puppy. Excuse me. Uh, he can hold it. He absolutely can hold it throughout the night. But you're right. You're right. It sounds to me like he has created a habit out of this because he's demanding. He's literally going, hey, dude, like, let me tap on the watch here. Uh, it's time. You take me every night at this time. Why are we not going? Woof, woof, woof. He literally physically has to go pee because that is the pattern that has been created. This is not going to be the easiest thing. I'll be honest. Um, look, if you have ever used a crate, you're going to want to bring the crate back out. Okay. Because if you don't, and you don't keep an eye on him, uh, he is going, you're telling me right there, he won't hold it, he will go pee. So you're going to have to try to start extending this. If it's pretty uh, predictable, you know, if, if, it's, if it's that your girlfriend takes him out at pretty much a relatively the same time every night, then what you need to do is you need to start uh, extending that by 30 minutes. Okay, extend it by 30 minutes for a couple of nights or even a week. Look, sometimes it, it can take a week to start off, okay? If it's, let's just say it's 12 a.m. It's 12 a.m. when she takes, when that's the first time you don't want her to take him out, she takes him It's going to be 1230. Okay. Do that for like a week, a couple days, a week. Then it's going to be one o'clock for a couple days, a week. Then it's going to be one third. You may even be able to push it till two. You may even be able to start pushing back an hour at a time, but you have to start changing this habit and literally retraining his bladder and his brain uh, to accept the fact that he can hold it. Now, if you crate them when you're gone, even better because you need to be crating them at night now. Uh, it's probably, you're probably not. I'm, I'm, I already know. <laughs> I already know girlfriend's probably not crating them. Like, let's come on. Um, so you need to go back to crating them at night. You do. You really do. Uh, it's going to help a lot. Okay. Because you need to be able to control that. If he barks, you got to tell him no. You have to tell him no. Give him a little correction, a little touch correction. Nothing wrong with that. You need to make him understand barking's not going to work for you and you need to hold it. Okay, so extending by 30 minutes, maybe an hour at a time, and doing it until you get through the night. Okay, not going to be easy. One of the other best things you can do is make sure he's not drinking too much water. You know, he may be an overdrinker, maybe he's not, and then that's, you know, hey, all good. Um, 
But if he's an overdrinker, try to control that and try to maybe also feed him a little bit earlier in the night. So if you feed him normally at six o'clock at night, you try to feed him at four or five. I know it seems a little bit early, but if he's going to eat, he's more likely to want to drink a lot of water after he eats, you know, so he's going to fill up that bladder. And we want to make sure we're emptying that bladder earlier in the evening so he doesn't feel the need to drink more to hold, you know, so that way it's easier for him to hold it. You know what I'm saying there. So uh, try to control your variables a little better. Try to extend it a little bit each night and don't give in to the barking. That's the biggest thing. Make, make your girlfriend listen to this. Make me be the bad guy. I'm cool with that. Uh, <laughs> but you got to do what you got to do to break those habits. Next question. This comes from Stacy from Atlanta, Georgia. Stacy says, I've listened to your podcast for a few months and have been able to use so much of the information with my dog, but recently I moved into an apartment and I live on the 10th floor. I can't control the dogs around me, which do not behave in the slightest, and my dog is starting to react to them. What can I do to get him to stop? That's an awesome question, Stacy. Uh, thank you for listening. I really appreciate that, and I'm so glad. Uh, yeah, I'm so glad the podcast helps. I really am. So that's fantastic. But this is that's a little that's a particular scenario, isn't it? Uh, look, it's not my favorite scenario. It's not. This is not my favorite thing to have to deal with because, yeah, you can't control other people. So what you need to do is desensitize your dog to this. Not the easiest thing to do when it's first thing in the morning. You're trying to get through your morning routine and get out the door to work. Right? Um, I hear you. So <laughs> a couple things. First thing is, uh, look, if you can get your dog first thing out in the morning before everybody else wakes up, so you're at least not having to deal with it for a little while and your dog isn't practicing the behavior, that's a good short-term solution. Get your dog out at times that other people aren't going out. Find those times. They exist. Um, and, and find those opportunities and take care of, take advantage of that because we don't want to let your dog keep practicing the behavior, right? The more they practice it, obviously the more it's reinforced and strengthened and we don't want that. So just that alone, as a little workaround for a little while. Try that. The next thing you want to do is, um, you know, teach your dog focus. If your dog doesn't know how to focus, we got to start there. That's an obvious one, I hope. Um, <laughs> but, uh, what you're going to want to do is maybe on your days off, Take your dog out to a dog park. Don't go in the dog park. Leash up your dog. We're trying to recreate in a controlled way um, you leaving your apartment, right? Because every time I'm sure you leave your apartment, you've got dogs galore and they're barking. So the dog park's going to help us recreate that. And what we need to do is desensitize your dog to the barking, to the nonsense, okay? So... Uh, look, if you've already taught a leave it command, this is really handy. So I would recommend teaching a leave it command, teaching focus. Okay. Then we get to the dog park. And when your dog starts to, you know, lunge, bark, whatever it's doing, reacting, you can tell them, leave it. And hopefully they look up at you because you've taught to leave it as, hey, leave it alone, look up at me. And then you have something to reward, right? We need a behavior to reward. We have to find something we can target and strengthen. But if your dog is barking, reacting, I don't have anything to work with. And again, it's hard to do that getting in and out of your apartment building. So I recommend finding an environment that's controlled, like a dog park where the dogs are behind a fence, they're controlled, but they're uncontrolled in the sense that they are going to bark, they are going to make your dog react, and you can work them through it. If your dog reacts and the leave it doesn't work, you turn and walk away and get out of there. Try to regain some focus and some control, reward it, turn around and walk back toward the dog park. If your dog starts to react, we try to leave it, doesn't work, turn around, walk away. We're going to rinse and repeat this. The second your dog starts to ignore the dog park, you've got to reward them like crazy. Treats, praise, 
you know, don't make it like this huge over exciting thing, but make it known you like them giving up on the dog park, ignoring the dog park, not reacting to the dogs. Then you want to start practicing just walking back and forth by the dog park. And every time your dog's just ignoring it and cool with it, you tell them, good boy, good girl. Sorry, I don't know. Did it say good boy, good girl? Uh, it didn't, but <laughs> okay. Uh, but you get, you get the idea here. We have to practice desensitizing your dog to these things, teaching them to leave them alone and reinforcing and strengthening it. If you do it in places like that, it's going to be a lot easier when it's uncontrolled, such as your apartment building. Because the reality is you can't control the people around you. The only thing you can do is try to train and control your dog. So uh, try running through that, see if that helps. And uh, hopefully we can get your dog under better control. That's going to wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or follow button, go ahead and do so right now. New episodes come out every Wednesday morning. You're going to want to check them out. Follow me on Instagram at speakadogcast. Have a wonderful week. And don't forget, get out there and walk your dog. 